Welcome to another edition of the latest Shiny Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Spector, and with me as is required, Mr. Rob Hirschfeld. Good day, Rob. Hello, Stephen. Well, Rob, today is uh, quite interesting. We're going to talk networking, and I uh, brought out my OSI, uh, so what is it, the, the, the stack? The seven-layer dip. The seven-layer stack, of which I passed once in undergrad, barely, and in grad school, sort of understand it. So I'm excited to uh, hear us talk about networking because I'm a professional. Um, no, no, I'm thinking about seven-layer dip. I'm not ready. I don't want to talk networking anymore. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we'll go that, that far, but those of us who remember that those classes is pretty tough. I think of the Mayo's coming up. Oh, yeah. wait, wait, sorry. Back to tech, back to tech. <laughs> so let me introduce our guest, who I'm really excited to have, Adam Toll is the founder of a company called Haste, which uh, we'll talk a little bit about. I'm really, Haste is really interesting. And what's great is my son uses their technology. So uh, for our podcast listeners who have children that play games or probably half our podcast listeners play games, this will be a very interesting podcast for you. So Adam, why don't you go ahead and give us a uh, brief introduction about yourself and then we'll get started. Sure, yeah. Um, so, uh... Super excited to be here, guys. Thank you for inviting me. Um, uh, as, as you said, I'm the founder of Haste. It's a company that we founded several years ago, um, and I know we're going to jump into that. So just a little on my background. Uh, I got started in the infrastructure space um, out of grad school when I started working on satellite communications, and this was kind of in the mid-90s. Uh, and it was right at a time when the satellite communications platforms were starting to wake up to IP and the internet, right? So at that time, uh, space-based communications, commercial communications were, was pretty much broadcast, you know, moving, moving TV around and sports and so forth. Uh, was still doing a little bit of, uh, you know, international telephony. Um, and when I started working for a small boutique satellite firm in Washington, D.C., uh, we were helping these, uh, these, you know, large satellite organizations start to think about IP and internet. Uh, I ended up getting poached by one of our clients who was a small startup in Santa Monica, um, that was using satellites for backbone connections to kind of underserved areas of the world, right? So uh, lots of customers in um, Latin America and Africa, in uh, Central Europe, right, which was still, uh, you know, sort of emerging from under the boot. <laughs> um, and uh, we started working there on a kind of early version of a content distribution network kind of leveraging the broadcast nature of satellites, right? So you could upload, you, you could send one signal of the content you wanted to, dis to distribute, and it could be, you know, essentially infinitely downlinked by any, any location, like a cable head end, right, which are all satellite enabled, uh, could, could pull down the content. So that's the kind of stuff we were working on. Um, around 2000, I co-founded a company called Big Champagne, and that was a uh, essentially an online media measurement company. We started looking at Napster and in an anonymous way, gathering kind of population level statistics about what people were downloading and searching for. And uh, we built that into, you know, we, we created a, a web interface and started adding 
more and more sources of data about how people were interacting with music as the world of digital music really emerged in the 2000s, right? We got started before iTunes, before iPhone. But over the course of about 10 years, uh, we witnessed the birth of what we all think of now as, you know, sort of the way we get music. Um, we were there when uh, MySpace appeared and kind of really got us all started on the mass market social networking um, and on and on. And, and what ended up happening is that we had data sources from, uh, you know, all of the streaming services. We were pulling stuff off of social media. Uh, we actually expanded into getting data feeds from traditional brick and mortar. So we had data feeds from um, places like Target and Walmart and Best Buy. And in effect, we had this 360 degree view of how people were interacting with music online and offline. And it all went into this front end and interface um, that was kind of like the, the, the kind of Bloomberg terminal of music. And, uh, and we eventually uh, got acquired by Live Nation uh, and uh, had to move out west with my family for a couple of years and, and do my do my couple of years post acquisition. Uh, and um, it was after that that I think, as Stephen mentioned, you know, I started, um, uh, you know, dipping my toe into the sort of angel investment space. And one of my engineers from Big Champagne, uh, who was still in Atlanta, called me up out of the blue, uh, uh, you know, a, a year or two later and said, hey, Adam, you remember how like I'm, I'm, I'm a big gamer? And I said, yeah, yeah, I remember you're a big gamer. And he starts to tell me a story about esports. He kind of, uh, you know, wakes me up to what's happening. This is several years ago. Uh, he, at the time, you know, League of Legends was his, was his game. And uh, he starts to tell me about esports and about, in particular, the challenges with lag. And he tells me a story of how he himself uh, was getting really frustrated playing League of Legends. He's grinding through the ranks, right? He's trying to increase his rank and status uh, season by season. And he said, you know, one day my pretty good connection through my ISP at home suddenly kind of went to hell. Uh, and I started having, you know, latency issues and lots of jitter and a ton of packet loss and and it it, uh, it it didn't seem to be temporary. So he he uh, he started. You know, he, was, he had some inspiration around how he might hack together a little bit of a solution just for himself. Um, and he spun up a few uh, AWS servers in different locations and started playing around with kind of bouncing his traffic around and maybe. Uh, you know, seeing if he could actually send multiple copies of his traffic through disparate routes. And he said, you know, he, this is him telling me, he said, look, you know, I thought I was going to spend, you know, maybe a couple of, couple of months of my nights and weekends just hacking together a little solution for myself. And he said, Adam, that was, that was 18 months ago when I set off on that two-month uh, journey. And I think I have some patents here and I think there's a business here and you're the guy I know who's done this before. And will you, will you help me out? And helping him out turned into the sort of first couple of rounds of pre-seed investment. Um, we, uh, we eventually uh, raised our first round of capital from a, 
group of uh, really experienced tech angel investors, uh, mostly in the Atlanta area. So, I mean, pretty pretty straightforward challenge here, right? I mean, distributing you know connected games and helping them connect is a is a major thing. Uh, you know, some of the stuff I well, actually a lot of the stuff I saw coming out of Mobile War Congress was related to the the gaming experience. Uh, and I, that makes sense from a Genesis perspective. I, I guess I want to take us in two different directions. One is, um, is this a broader problem that, that we're going to see? You know, is, is, is that challenge going to translate into a, a more, a broader edge problem? And then of course I want to dive into the tech a little bit. So I can, you know, sort of, how do you, uh, let's, for actually let's do tech first. How do you, how do you fix? this experience, right? You, you have to connect people. They're separated by light speed distances. A, a few things to sort of start with there. I think the first thing, uh, and I, I imagine your audience are all, you know, familiar with this, but I'll just lay it out there in case there are a few folks who need to get on the same page, right? So they're, they're you know, I mean, the internet, as we all know, is, is you know, kind of best efforts and, and, uh, it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's got a lot of issues with sort of real-time reactivity, and that's a feature, not a bug. Um, and historically, there have been these sort of bolt-on technologies that address some of those shortcomings. And I think, you know, most, you know, really the, 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 the big one there is, is CDN, right? So, I mean, I remember, as I'm sure you guys do, in the mid to late 90s, um, when most of us were still on dial-up, you know, in the mid 90s. Um, and CNN, I remember, was kind of really trying to push the envelope on rich media on the web. And I remember that, you know, you could, you could uh, go to CNN.com and then go fix yourself a cup of coffee while the page loaded, um, at least for folks like me, you know, who were still on dial-up at that time. And so, you know, the challenge back then was, you know, pushing the envelope on rich media and how do we make that work in the web? And, you know, lo and behold, this notion of content distribution platform emerged and Akamai and all those folks came along and said, yeah, you know, take those, those big but otherwise static elements and, and cache them, you know, at the edge and they'll be served up nice and smoothly and fast forward to today. And that's how we have Netflix and all of that. So... We look at a problem that I think starts from a similar place, which is that the internet is uh, designed to be, you know, flexible and resilient and not controlled by anybody. And but one of the trade-offs is that it's not super optimized. Um, so we start from that same place, but we're focused on real time, right? We're focused on applications is specifically where the the content that's being transmitted is user generated uh it's generated in real time and uh the need for optimization of the data path is is two-way or multi-way right and that's so it's really kind of the inverse of cdn so so i just want to lay that out there as you know as sort of the way that we think of the problem and the way that we approach it. Um, and so what we did from a clean sheet of paper was to devise a essentially an overlay network architecture um, 
that fundamentally, I think, you could probably say that we spend bandwidth to achieve performance. And what I mean by that is that one of the most basic techniques that we employ is multipathing. So in this case, um, the you know standard setup, I think as everybody listening to this knows, is you have a, a gamer, uh, they have their gaming PC, um, and they, you know, you download a, a, a very large game file, right? You download a, uh, you know, multi, multi gigabyte, uh, game file, uh, that in some cases can push, you know, 20 gigs. Um, and that's all the media, that's all the graphics and all the everything. And the, the, uh, the data connection between the player and the game server is actually quite thin. So the stream of data, the constant stream of data to and from the game server, um, is, is quite thin. I mean, in some cases, like 50 or 100 kilobits per second. Um, I think on the high end. What, what you're describing is akin to people watching videos and the audio feed, right, is very small. The video feed is pretty high and people not notice stutter even more in audio than video. And so you can drop frames with, you know, from a video and, and preserve the bandwidth. In, in networking terms, we would call that QoS, right? Where you can actually tag different streams as part of having a quality of service and, and, and escalate some of the pieces. But this isn't That's a exactly quality right. of service because you need all that cached data. You need that media to play the game. You can't, you know, it, it can't show up. It can't show up late, even though the, you know, position and, you know, there's a whole bunch of real-time data that needs, that has to have a QoS, higher priority QoS. That's the multi-path idea, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, what's being transmitted between you and the game server is essentially telemetry, right? XYZ coordinates about who's moving where and, and uh, bullets flying and swords sweeping and what and some, and some of the games, I believe, are actually getting anticipatory where, like, you know, you can deal with a degree of latency with forecasting a, a player's position, right? I know that uh, ballistics uh, in first-person shooters and shooters will, will do this. They can anticipate, um, you know, certain degrees of, of, of action um, and then correct as things catch up, right? Yeah, I I saw a really interesting panel at GDC a few years ago where uh, one of the game developers was talking about that. And, you know, don't quote me on this because I'm not an engineer and it was a while ago. But I think what he was saying is that they would um, uh, timestamp the actions uh, that a player took locally. And I guess everyone was on the same timing. And so even, you know, so imagine two people in a standoff shooting at each other. Even if you experienced, you know, a couple of milliseconds uh, latency worse than the other guy, as long as all the packets were received within a, a tolerable window, uh, they could use the timestamps to identify, oh, you pulled the trigger first, even though the packets that told us you pulled the trigger arrived slightly later than the other guy, right? And so in that way, they were doing just what you say, which is to sort of account for a little bit of latency. Um. Right. But, but you're, bringing, you're bringing in something that helps solve this problem without 
because it, it's really frustrating to fix it, you know, in the game or, you know, have, have things that you think happened didn't happen. You know, multipathing makes a ton of sense um, from a solution perspective. Is there more, is there more to it? Is there, you know, more intelligence? Yeah. I mean, just to be clear about the multipathing, right? So sometimes when people talk about multipathing, at least in my experience of talking to folks about this, they um, assume that we're talking about sort of switching between paths, right? And you know, keeping a bunch of paths open, but dynamically switching between them based on best performance. And we're really not doing that. We're, we're actually duplicating your traffic. Um, and we send a complete data stream on four different paths between the user and the game server. And, and then, of course, on either side of that transaction, because remember, this is happening in both directions, um, we uh, will receive the packets and put them back in order, but we'll, we'll sum the paths, right? So packet one arrives first on path A, packet two may arrive fastest on path C, right? And so we're, we're taking those packets, putting them back in order, and then handing them off locally to the game server, when the data is going that way, or handing them off locally to the um, game software on your computer when the data is coming back from the server. And then, you know, again, I'm sure that a lot of your audience is already sort of skipping ahead in this, but uh, obviously there's, you know, maybe it would make sense to just quickly lay out uh, that there are kind of three layers to what we do. There's an infrastructure layer where we have points of presence um, co-located with game servers, right? So we're sort of adjacent to game server. We are located, uh, you know, much like a CDN on the edge for, um, for direct access to the eyeball networks. And we have points of presence sort of in other key locations in between. Um, and so those, you know, there's a, a, a network of our own pops all over the world. The second kind of layer you can think of is just our suite of essentially software-defined networking tools that includes the software that's running on each of those pops. Uh, it includes an intelligence that sits at the edge of the network. It includes things like our own kind of headers that we that we use uh, that that we attach to the packets. Um, and and then the third aspect is this piece of software that gamers install on their game machine. Today, we are uh, we support Windows PC. Uh, in part just because we were able to develop on that platform without any permissions. Um, on, our, on our roadmap, of course, is console and mobile. Uh, but there is a small piece of software that resides on the game machine. And that software does two things. On the one hand, it turns your machine into a, yet another point of presence on our network. So it's doing all of the uh, sending and receiving. It's doing the multipathing. When you're, uh, you know, duplicating and multipathing when you're setting upstream, it's receiving data from multiple paths and putting things back in order uh, when it's receiving data. Uh, and the other thing that that software does is provide a little bit of a user interface, right? So you can test your connection to a game server, you know, kind of like one of those bandwidth speed test applications, except instead of bandwidth, we're measuring latency and jitter and packet loss. Um, and then, you know, there's a few other, you know, there, there's a few other things around user experience, but really the whole thing is designed to kind of stay out of your way and run 
Right. No, this this makes a ton of sense because what and and the thing that I think is really interesting to think about here is that what what you've done is you said, look, I I need a connection. I don't want to spend a lot of time optimizing that connection based on you know information that I, I really can't predict. And to, right, this is this is what's hard. You've got gamers all over the world. You you know when when somebody spins up you know a game and then connects in your client side utility you have to then figure out what assets what that what data assets are available within which regions right and some of that might might mean pulling assets in dynamically it might mean um, you know caching you know caching things on the local machine it's it's a it's an incredibly dynamic environment right it's not like you're just caching the game locally for some no, that's right. I mean, caching doesn't really come into it again because this is real time and it's user generated content in real time. So there's no opportunity to cache anything, right? Um, you know, we we we're we're having a user generated uh, um, uh, experience that we're creating in real time. We we don't have an opportunity to cache this conversation somewhere if we're having it in real time. Obviously, we can cache it. For playback, which is how your listeners are listening to this. But but that doesn't apply when you're in a real-time game, just as you but a game But a game is decomposed of, right, there's the, the player interaction, but there's a lot of additional digital assets that have to be in place for a game to work, some of which are downloaded, but some of which are, in, you know, you know CDN'd, if you will, into that region. Um, and then even, but CDMs are, are not are are not always up to date. So you could have uh, material that somebody needs that they have to download, you know, onto their continent because it just got updated, and then slowly, you know, comes into a local presence so that so that it's available for them um, through that through that caching system. And then, so you're saying that you can actually sort of pick the right, you know, get get resources from the right places as as they're in flight. So I just want to make sure that that, that, that we're clear here because you're. I mean, you are talking about two two critical things in the world of gaming. Um, and the first is making sure that your game software is is up to date, right? And you're talking about you know very very large media files in essence um, that periodically need to get updated. And uh, you know, game companies are some of the biggest customers of the CDN. Uh, operators for that reason, right? Because, uh, you know, gamers are a fickle bunch. They want their initial downloads and all of their subsequent updates to happen quickly. Um, frequently with these games, uh, the updates are required for you to continue playing, right? So unlike, say, Microsoft Office, where you can kind of choose on your own schedule when you're going to, when you're going to apply those updates, uh, with, with um, uh, with 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 gaming, you know, frequently you you it's it's not an option, right? And so, yes, in terms of media assets and all of that, that is a critical part of gaming. But that is really addressed by traditional CDN, and there are other tools like the Steam platform uh, that that uh, kind of manages a lot of that for your game collection. But that's all traditional CDN because in the end. That's just as you say, it's making sure that the latest version of the game is cached in your region so it downloads quickly. We don't touch any of that. We only touch 
active gameplay data stream. So we only get involved when you are actually playing the game. Um, and in that case, uh, if, you know, what, what we have, because I think you also made reference to this. So I've described how we have these points of presence all over the world. We're doing a lot of this in partnership with, uh, with uh, Edge Gravity's UDN network, um, which has been a fantastic partnership for us. Um, so we have those points of presence all over the world. But the other thing that we have is every installation of Haste on every computer is, uh, is you know, one of its jobs is to calculate and sort of be up to date on what the best possible routes are between that player's uh, machine, that individual player's machine, and all of the game servers that we support. And the reason we have to do that is because we don't have any warning when a user wants to start playing a game. And so we need to be ready. We need to be ready with all of the best routes between a player and a game server. Essentially, we need to be ready faster than it takes the game to load, right? So when somebody fires up uh, whatever, Apex Legends, right? Uh, the hottest new game. Our software on that user's computer needs to already know what the best uh, routes are between that player and all of the Apex Legends game servers worldwide. Now, we can reasonably expect, you know, uh, on, on average, statistically, that that user is, is probably going to connect to the game server that is in their local region, essentially their sort of default game server. So if I'm in, you know, if I'm in uh, North America, um, by default, I'm going to connect to a North American server. But of course, users can choose in the game software to say, no, 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 I want to play with my buddies in Europe. And so Haste needs to know all of the best routes. And the challenge is, is that all of those best routes are changing constantly, right? I mean, we think of of internet climate and internet weather. And internet weather means that, you know, your four best routes between you and game server X right now aren't necessarily the four best routes between you and game server X in an hour. And so the software is sort of periodically just doing very, you know, simple checks to all of our endpoints. But in aggregate, what that means, right, with hundreds of thousands of installs all over the world that, that are periodically kind of updating all of their best routes and, and uploading that information to the central intelligence of our network, it means that we have this kind of fire hose of real-time data about what's happening on the Internet in a very granular way. That's because, you know, we maintain connect we maintain control of the packets from the user's machine all the way to the game server and back again because we're bouncing through our points of presence. So we have very granular insight into what's happening on, on the network. And we feed that information back into our software so that our software is constantly aware of what's happening and is constantly updating itself so that, again, when a user fires up uh, their machine, um, or, you know, fires up their, their game software, we know the best routes at that moment. And so that's a really powerful insight that we have at the network level. Um, and it's something that, you know, long-term, 
we're very interested in as as a you know as a as a as almost its own kind of service or or capability, which is just uh, you know very very uh, detailed granular view of um, of network performance. Does that does that make sense? Makes a lot of sense to me because what you're 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 routing on they're they're not exactly. I mean, public is not exactly the right word for it, but it's 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 a shared infrastructure network. That's right. And there's there's times when you know you're you're avoiding it's you know the way the ways for for the internet um, where you're you're routing around congestion you're helping prioritize traffic um, and that that makes a lot of sense and, and you know even thinking back to your history you know, if you're bouncing things off satellites you're going to be very sensitive to the the latency in that link so you, you know you've always got to think through how systems interconnect and maybe this to me is is the place where where the broader edge story really comes in because you know when we're designing applications that run in a in a cloud or a cloud region we make you know very simplifying assumptions about the connectivity and the latency uh and the cost of the data between those factors when you start moving into the edge that's a it's a totally different ball game yeah. um you can't make any it's you know you're you're what i'm hearing is you can't make any assumptions um, about about connecting two points together, and you've got a lot of intelligence for that. Is how do you how do you expand that? How do we how do we shape um, edge infrastructure based on you know networks being unpredictable, but also how do we help optimize that? Yeah, I mean you you know you're 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 really putting your finger on on one of the real challenges. I mean. Another way to characterize what we're doing is we're essentially kind of overriding BGP routing, right? By by forcing packets um, along the paths that we have available as part of our overlay. But but just as you pointed out, we're still running over the public internet, right? Um, I mean, yes, there's some uh, you know there's some MPLS links involved when when we're uh, working with. Uh, the UDN, uh, sure, but but by and large, we are we're a, an overlay on the public internet, and so um, it, what, what's important about the edge to us, of course, is that the sooner that we can start path diversity, the better effect we're going to have on a a, uh, a user's connection, right? So. And you know, we talk about multipathing, but I'm sure as a lot of your listeners have already kind of mentally flagged, uh, there is the issue of that kind of last mile where there's not really an opportunity for path diversity from the user's computer to that first hop where they're you know still within the service provider's network. Um, and so a couple of things about that. One is that we, we do actually uh, send multiple copies of the data, even across that first link. Um, and by using some techniques like offsetting by microseconds, um, we can usually, you know, if, if there's noise on that connection, if there's uh, particularly packet loss, um, you know, we can help. We can help alleviate some of that, um, but there's not really an opportunity for multipathing until you hit our first server. And so, what we're finding as we start to work with service providers, right? Because what we're doing with edge gravity 
is starting to help internet service providers provide a better gaming experience to their users. And one of the things that is important about that is having haste points of presence inside the service provider's network, right? So sort of before you even hit the public internet, um, that, that real edge location. Um, and so for us, it's so important to try and pick up that traffic before it's even hit the public internet. Um, and so that's what's critical about the edge for us. Um, and, and again, because, because we're sort of the inverse of a CDN, we have to transit the internet, right? Because a game server, you know, game servers are, are pretty centralized. I mean, there's, there are plenty of games where you have a distributed game servers and there are certain games where people can spin up uh, private game servers and those are located all over the place. But by and large, the official game servers tend to be clustered in a relatively small number of places. And this is because you need to aggregate a large population of active gamers to do, to do matching and so forth. And so for that reason, like you, you have to go through the internet, right? So that's a, yet another reason why uh, just having the game server and the content on the edge doesn't work. And yet the edge is still so critical to, to providing a good experience. And I, I want to take this into the sort of broader idea, because when, when I think about, you know, Internet of Things and some of the interactions that we're talking about from an edge infrastructure, right, you know, games involve humans interacting. When we start talking about, you know, systems interacting, in, in some cases, those are handoffs that you're going to have to keep local and then also link into uh, cloud. One of the, my favorite analogies, somebody described it as trombone, tromboning into cloud where you're constantly looping back in. And, and that doesn't work if you are trying to talk to the server in the next, you know, down the block, which might be a different, you, know, you still have to hop to it. Is this the type of thing where you could actually say, you know, it, games are very similar. I've got a gamer in Europe, I've got a gamer in Asia, but I've also got the, the person up the street from me that I, I'm connecting to, you know, can you, you know, sort of, make the traffic optimized from that perspective and, and, yeah, and help inform really it. really interesting area. Um, so a couple of things about that. First of all, um, <clears throat> there are some companies and, and startups that, that we've talked to and, and others that we're aware of who are really grappling with that notion of, um, of dynamically allocating game servers based on uh, just as you were sort of saying in that example, you know, based on where the players are and what their, uh, you know, maybe more to the point, what their sort of network topology and performance is like. So if you had uh, a bunch of people all ready to play a match and, you know, if the matchmaking, right, which is the process by which the game software puts people on different teams to, to play against each other. Uh, if the matchmaking is factoring in things like network performance um, and location, which which it can do, at least theor theoretically, I, I know some folks are doing that. The idea is, is that you would spin up a game server dynamically that is optimized for those people, right? And so typically you might have like five on five or seven on seven, you know, seven players versus seven players. So that's 14 players who are could be anywhere. Right. And so 
the idea is that you would spin up a server that is, you know, that has been calibrated to sort of offer the best connectivity statistically for that group. Um, and that's really interesting to us. And our data can certainly help do that, right? So in other words, we would we we have the basis to make those kinds of decisions. We we aren't in the business of hosting game servers, and it's probably something we're not interested in, but we would you know, certainly be interested in working with whether it's the publishers or, or third-party operators. The other thing, I think, in that category that's interesting to us, and more to the point, is very interested, interesting to game companies and tournament operators and contest platforms, is this notion of providing kind of a level playing field, right? So again, you've got 10 or 14 people, what have you, or in the case of some of these Battle Royale games, you know, 100 people um, who are all over the network, all connecting to one server, right? Uh, all trying to maintain a shared reality where time is the same for everybody, despite these different network characteristics. Um, one of the things that our platform can do, and, and to be clear, we're not doing this today, and it would take some engineering to, to sort of productize it. But one of the one of the things that our uh, that our platform is capable of is actually adjusting people's network connection to try and bring them more into sync. So imagine you have, uh, you know, you have ten people, two teams of five. And they're all connecting to a server, whether it's dynamically spun up or as one of the sort of you know static centralized servers. And we know all of their um, network connection stats, right? Latency, jitter, packet loss, and we can figure out you know who, who what what's the sort of lowest common denominator that's acceptable, right? So um, and 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 then we can tweak everyone's network connection so that they have about the same latency jitter and packet loss. And what that does, particularly, this is particularly applicable in the um, you know professional and sort of pro amateur um, competition realm. What that does is it just removes the completely arbitrary effects of network connectivity from what is otherwise supposed to be a game of skill versus skill, right? So, you know, a lot of games can be lost uh, because of network issues, right? It has nothing to do with who's the better team and who's the most skillful player. It just has to do with, oh, dang, you know, somebody, uh, you know, there was a congestion on this router or somebody, you know, uh, cut a fiber line or what have you, right? It happens, you know, all, all, all of the kind of standard uh, issues on the internet. And so that combination of, of being able to dynamically spin up servers that are optimized for everybody and then also potentially being able to sort of generate a level playing field is something that um, we hear a lot of interest from uh, game companies. And, and, and that's really... You know, that starts to get into that subset of the larger gaming market, which is really esports, right? Esports competition. So, Adam, this is uh, Steve Spector jumping back in. And as I told you before, at some point I come in and I break up the podcast and stop it all. And this is our users are always used to this. And I, I think uh, it's okay. So, if um, people are interested in learning more about Haste, um, uh, where should they go? Um, 
any I know they have social media everything any sites we should send them yeah I mean you know haste.net is our is our uh, front-facing site and uh, you know anyone can uh, download haste and try it uh, for free for a couple of weeks and there's no you know there's none of that nonsense with like having to provide a credit card or anything you just need to you just need to create uh, a username and you have to validate an email and, and you're off to the races uh, with the full version of Haste for a couple of weeks. Um, you'll see that there is a paid option. Um, it is something that we made available, and uh, but, but we don't really market it very actively uh, because really our focus um, and our model is to really work with service providers to help you know, to help provide a superior gaming experience. So our real customer in the end are service providers. Um, but, you know, you can go and learn more at Haste.net. And, um, you know, obviously we love to hear from folks and, you know, both potential technology partners um, who are in the space, uh, service providers and so forth. So, you know, as you can tell, I like talking and I'm always happy to, uh, to bounce ideas around. Great. Well, thank you, Adam. Uh, thank you, Rob. Uh, this is for us in our podcast. Going talking about gaming is new, so uh, you know, hoping some uh, people that are into gaming and understand networking and edge start to follow us. And uh, thank you again to both of you, and have a uh, a good afternoon. Thanks, guys. It was a great conversation. Have a good one.